Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Elsa Likumba, I am so excited to have you on the She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting. Oh, my pleasure. So let's get started. Why don't you tell everybody what it is that you do? Yes, I am the founder of Cross-Cultural Consultancy Services. Basically, I help migrants, international students, adjust or redefine their sense of belonging while they're doing life in a new country in Australia, in this case. Oh, I, I just love what you do. It's so important. So uh, why do you do it? Well, that's a very good question. For one big reason, I had a, a personal experience with this. It, something happened to me a few years ago, and that completely changed my understanding of belonging. I came and what here, was it? What happened? I came here as an international student. Yeah. I was just chasing my childhood um, academic dreams. Yeah. So I arrived in Australia, but soon after that, I was confronted with this culture shock as well as at the same time, I felt this society pressure to kind of fit in, not necessarily to belong. Right. Very so, good point. Yeah. So I did struggle a lot with that. It took me a while to pick up, you know, my be able to redefine my identity being in a different space. I remember I was homesick all the time. I, I was bet you were. constantly yeah. comparing things between here and there and right. so many aspects. And that didn't help. So funny thing is that I decided just to say, I, I was just telling myself, I'm just going to focus on my studies. That's why I right. came here for. Just do it and then just go home. Be done. Just go home. And that's what I did. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to enjoy much of my experience. Aww. So I go home. To meet my family, I was looking forward, you know, yes, a place that I belong, my loved ones. Yeah. Few months, few months into the country, back into my home country, which is Mozambique, something interesting also happened there. People begin to notice that I was acting differently. Oh, I was, no. <laughs> I was doing things differently. I think the Australian way of life already rubbed off on me. <laughs> And they say, wow, you're doing this, this and that differently. We usually don't do that here. I'm like, oh, gosh. That's when the tension begin to um, yeah, start inside yeah. of me. And I begin to ask myself, well, in the end, where do I belong? When I'm there, I'm different, different skin, accent and all of that. But when I'm here, they also question my identity. Later on, after doing self-reflection and reading different books, I've discovered something that changed the whole thing. Belong, belonging, it's not about a place. It's a mindset. And if you get mm-hmm. that right, yeah, home can be anywhere. You want it to be. That's yes. so true. I mean, mm. I know that um, we moved to Australia from England when I was a young young girl and my parents just embraced the whole idea of Australia from the day we arrived. And I remember my, my, my dad saying, I'm not even going, because we were Irish, and saying, I'm not even going to follow the Irish football teams and soccer teams anymore. It's Australia all the way. And I think that made a huge difference because we all just said, okay, we're so lucky to be here. And um, and and even though, I mean, I'm sure that you've got 
loads of pushback from Australians and it is hard and we've got a whole lot of <laughs> your posh stuck up English people. But eventually you do assimilate and I and I I absolutely agree with you that it's about putting your mind to it and saying, okay, I am going to be part of this country and I'm excited about it or deciding that you don't want to do it. But it is about what goes on in your yes. head much more than it, anything else. Yes, absolutely. And it was until I decided to embrace the process of cultural transition of you know, trying to, instead of just staying from the outside, when I begin to embrace and ask questions, why they do this, trying to get interested in the way of life, that's when clarity about belonging came about. So I'm glad I embraced the whole process after a while. Yeah, so, so mm. what, was there a particular moment, a light bulb moment, when you said, I'm going to go back to Australia and I'm going to help other people um, that are going through this? Was, mm. Did something specific happen? Yes, it did. After I've done the book, that was immediately after, because I ended up, when I experienced that and I had this epiphany where I discovered the meaning of belonging, yeah. I said, I believe there must be another international student slash migrant struggling with this. What if I put in a book? That's when I wrote the book. Right. And what's the book called? Tell everyone what the book it, is called. It's called The Freedom to Belong. My right. journey. Yes. It's, I'm basically putting this on the table. You can belong anywhere and nowhere at the same time. I love it. I'm and just and putting... Did you write the book when you were back home in Mozambique? I mean, what brought you back to Australia? I'm really interested that you <laughs> well, decided to come back here rather than stay there. Yeah, the reason why I came here was still I was offered a scholarship. Oh, to come back and finish to come and back do and more. do because I came and did masters. Right. And then I came. Wow, to do- Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing: when I came for the PhD, I said I was just telling to myself, I need to get this right. I need to understand white people. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Honestly. yeah. I mean, yeah, I could. I couldn't stay here while I'm still struggling with that. It would mess up the whole thing again. And, and was there were there specific things about uh, very white society, which I know. And I, I, whereabouts do you live, Elsa? Are you in, in what in, city are you in? In um, in Newcastle. Right. Okay. New South so, Wales. New South Wales. Mm. So it's not a, a lot of African fine. people there. No, not many. When I came, there was only one African shop in 2008. Only right. one. Only wow. one. That was only open a few days of the week. Right. But things have changed. Things have changed. There's a lot more now operating. So I guess I guess the main thing here is I also didn't want to let go of my national identity. Mm. I thought that doing the integration means that I have to sail off to Western values. I got it wrong. Right. So it was a myth that I was believing, a wrong belief. Right. And what was the right belief? The right belief is that you don't have to, uh, redefining sense of belonging doesn't mean you're surrendering to whiteness or you're sailing off to Western values. Yep. You're allowing yourself to embrace you, keep you, you still hold on to what you have or where you are, your identity, but you allow it to be adjusted. You know, you allow yep. it to be shaped to the place you are without having to say, I'm just lose yourself. Yeah. But it's, it's what we know about the stories, you know, all the stories we hear about it, defining the language. We feel like <coughs> we're going to lose, we're going to lose something. 
Yes, and it's not about losing at all, no, is it? It's, it's about adding about to. Mm. It's about and having other things to, that you can add to the mix. Mm. And can I say, once you migrate, you're no longer the same person. You evolve to, uh, I would say, a, another dimension. Because right. you've seen side, lifestyle A, lifestyle B. You become something. And this is where I want many international students to focus on. I want them to capture that advantage. It's not weakness. No, mm. and it's also not giving up your your center of yourself. Mm. It's just it's just um, embracing more. Okay, well, let's go back. I want to hear your story. I am <laughs> fascinated to hear what it was like to grow up and then come here in Mozambique and then come here. So, I don't mind what what age we start. Let's just say that you're a young woman at school, whether yeah. it's primary school or secondary school. What sort of what size family did you grow up in? Did you enjoy school? Mm. Tell me some of those things. Well, grew up in a house of, I've got five siblings. Wow. Uh, yeah, five siblings, three boys, three girls. I'm the third in the family. In the family. Right. Um, and I don't know, but I would say we were, if you want to talk about in terms of income groups, I would say it was the average middle. We were able to okay. afford things. I wouldn't be, you know, lying and saying we couldn't afford. No, we, we, we my mom and dad were working. Both of them right. full time. What do you what do your parents do? My dad back then was the manager of, of a co-op and my mom right. was working in a commercial bank. Very stable right. job. So I had a, a normal, you know, life, childhood. Yeah. And I remember that at around the age of eight, I always had this um inquisitive mind about English. I had this, you know, desire to learn English. Because at the back of my mind, there was something always telling me, you got to learn English because you're going to live in a different country. So so let me just start at the beginning. Is is English not spoken very widely in Mozambique? No. I didn't realize that. No, it's not even the first, not even the second language, nothing. Right. So what, what, are, what are the languages that are spoken over there? Official language is Portuguese, which I could wow. say, yes. Hola, como estás? Which is, right. hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Hola, como estás? That's a Portuguese word. And after that, we have our own little, you know, local dialects. Patois, that we have. kind of. Right. Yeah, mm, we have. Okay, so, so you wanted to learn English and yet there weren't very many people around you who, so did you think even from a young age that you might want to leave Mozambique or was it just to add to what you were learning? I think, I, to be honest, I think back then I was signing up to leave. Right. To leave. But when I came, when the actual time came to come and study here, I just started coughing up. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> I'm like, Gee. It's quite a big move for a I'm young like, woman. I'm like, wow. I'm like, wow, this is huge. This is strange. You know, this is, you know, how they do things. Because I had everything already constructed in my mind. How we do the meaning of life, you know, um, how we do work, family, the roles were very clear, clear and defined in my mind already. What's right. like to do, like should look like, expectation regarding the elders in the house. You know, it was a very set structure. I was, I don't think I was ready to be disturbed. <laughs> right. Okay. So you're at school and you learn, did you learn English through school? No, before we only have English from year seven. So okay. anything you do prior to that, it's family investment or personal investment. And we only have as a subject. It's still not the official language. Right. Okay. Mm. 
So how did so? I don't know. Keep talking. Tell me. Tell me about <laughs> about what was this? Yeah, and you know what? I, I remember that. Um, but when the time came to study English at school, I was already high above right. because I've been investing on it so much. Right. I I had this set this thing set in my mind. It's that's the not right thing to do because you're gonna need it. You're amazing. So you already had that kind of ambition. <laughs> Did you have friends or family that wanted to do it with you or were you just kind of on your own? Were you I the had, only one? I took on my sibling, my eldest, because right. sometimes I would have to go to the local library. We had the British Council in the city centre. They have a little library right. section. So yeah. sometimes to go out of the house, you know, walk long distance, my mom would have me to have with my, my brother. So one way to get it, um, right. to get the books whenever I want is to make him join the library, make him <laughs> interested so he could, you know, without having yeah, to, yeah. Dra- to drag mom or dad whenever I wanted to get a book. So I used to read books and I used to sing along, you know, the singing, whenever I would read the lyrics, trying to copy. I think I was on a mission. I was right. on a big mission, yeah. It sounds like you were. And it also sounds like you're pretty brave because having those ideas, particularly when you've grown up in a very small community, I mean, the idea of going to um, a white country, learning English, it, it must have just been huge. I mean, just the idea of of leaving everything you knew. Mm, absolutely. It is. It is. And my sister keeps on saying, you're always going ahead of something. She says that I'm always breaking the cycle of boundaries. I love it. Okay. So so you did secondary school in Mozambique. I did in Mozambique. And I'm guessing you did very, very well at school. You sound like you were quite (laughs) studious. (laughs) Yes, I have to say I did well. Yeah. I'm the, I was, I think growing up, I was that kind of kid that my mom never had to push me to read. Right. I was the same. I was the same. If you, if I could have a book and curl up in a corner, I just didn't want anyone to talk to me. It was like, (laughs) it was like heaven to just be able to escape into the pages of the book. And then I did high school. Then I did my undergraduate in Mozambique as well. Right. While I was doing my undergraduate, I thought maybe this is the right time. So I applied for university in Canada. Right. So the response came back. They said, well, we can only give you a place, but we can't give you a scholarship to do undergraduate. Right. So I said, I'm just going to have to put it aside this time because I don't want to give a lot of financial pressure to my mom and dad to pay undergraduate degree away. It's going to mm-hmm. be a financial situation. I just finished my degree in Mozambique. And right. one year after. And finishing, on, what was the degree too? What, what did you study? Agricultural sciences. Ah, very useful. <laughs> yes, very much, very much. So when I did that, I was working for the government right there in Mozambique. And one day I flipped the newspaper. I saw Australian AIDS scholarships, nine ah. for, yes, for male and female, nine each. Yeah. And they had this criteria listed there. And then I'm thinking... Oh, maybe I'll not get, look at this, how many years of experience they want, but let me just try, who knows. I did, and I landed on the waiting list. Oh, gosh, Elsa, and they were only taking 18 people from the whole country, nine men and nine women. Yes. And you made it onto that short list. 
that short list, nothing changed. I have to say it didn't right. move. Nothing oh. changed. And they say reapply again. I knew I had to do it. So I reapplied. And this time I landed on the main list. Wow. <laughs> and now how old were you then? About 22, 23, something like that? Uh, I was around, I think, 26, 26, yeah, 26, 27. Now talk to me a little bit about the pressure that I'm imagining, and I could be completely wrong, that mm. a woman of 26 in Mozambique would be getting to get married and have children. Did you have that pressure? You just hit the point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we get it in all cultures, us women of a certain age, but I imagine there was a lot of pressure for you. And this is one of the issues that I also discuss in the book because it's a memoir. I shared the beginning and the end. And by, before explaining the, why I reacted the way I reacted, I do provide the readers a bit of my background. Right. You know, and I explain exactly what you're saying. In Mozambique, a woman must be married as soon as possible. Marriage right. is seen as a trophy and you can never go back from a marriage. So you didn't want to get stuck because you wouldn't have been able to get out. <laughs> no. The thing is, I actually, I am divorced. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Talk See, to me about that in Mozambique. Breaking, oh, my God. You're asking the right questions. <laughs> wow. That would have been, yeah, okay. So go on, tell me what that was like. Yeah. The thing is, and there's these attributes that comes with being a woman in Mozambique, and I do mention a few of them in the book. You need to be likable. Yeah. You know, it's one of them. You need to be able to bear pain as much as you can. They see you as someone that can take everything. And the last one is that divorce is never an option. It's the most shameful thing to do regardless. No. That, that's what is being preached, unfortunately. Right. So... Things didn't go well for well, let's me. Start, hang on, let's start at the beginning. Who, <laughs> who was the guy? Like, was this a love match or is it arranged marriages over there? No. How old were you? It was not arranged marriage. I got married at the age of 20. I was turning 24 when I got right. married. It was not an arranged, arranged um, marriage. It was okay. the age of 24. And then a few years after that, I got my first boy, son, Okay. He's, he's 15 now. And then towards the end of my master's, when I was already here, I gave birth to my daughter, Noemi. She's 12. So I've got two, 15 and, and 12. 12. And, and did your husband come to Australia with you? Yes, he came to Australia. We were all here. And the divorce right. happened in 2018. In Australia? Yep. So the shame is that back in Mozambique. You don't have to worry about it here because there's no shame here at all. Thank God. In that aspect, I have to say, so this is the, this is what I highlight in the book. Like as much as there's so many challenges that I had to go through in Australia culturally and socially, yeah, I have to admit that women are relatively better off here compared to Mozambique. So it's a bit of a balanced experience. Yeah, yeah. So I have to admit And here we are in Australia going, we're nowhere near equal and it's not enough, but I'd say it's probably much better than it is over absolutely, there. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, the right to be and to use your mind and be yourself. It's brilliant. Okay, so, so you got married, you come over to Australia to do your master's. Hmm. 
And um, and then you got a divorce, presumably during that time you were in Australia. So why? Did, and then you said you didn't feel like you belonged, so you went back. Uh, when I went back, it was before all of that. Okay. Mm. When I, so when I came back, um, I was still struggling with the issue of belonging. Right. So when I came back to, to do my PhD, I did not feel like I belonged here. It wasn't clear to me yet. It was very confusing. To right. be honest, at some stage, I chose a strategy of which many migrants or international students they do, which is separation. Yeah, like let we me are, go and find the people from Mozambique or the people yeah. in my community and we'll ignore the fact that we're... Exactly, exactly. Because it's too hard and they don't yeah. understand us and we're too different. Absolutely. We are here, but right. we are not, we have an address here, but we still only catch up with people that, you know, we know our culture. And sometimes something that I don't agree um, is that I don't think that's a healthy way to integrate, to be part of a society. No, no. I think so you're right, not- but it is, it's an easy way. Mm. And if you're struggling and you're feeling left out and you don't feel like you're part, then, I mean, it does make sense that people would then go, well, let me go and find other people going through the same thing. But you're right, it doesn't help at all with assimilation. Mm, No. And can I correct something on that? Yes, of course you can. (laughs) There are four strategies of of, of, of living in a nation. Number one, separation. Number two, uh, marginalization. Number three, assimilation number mm-hmm. four is integration none of the three assimilation is also not good assimilation people that choose assimilation they're saying i have nothing to give Bring. i'm taking yeah so i'm taking yours they kill what they have right so assimilation is not good it gives a perception that there's someone is higher than the other so you must assimilate so i don't encourage right. that so it's assimilation i always thought assimilation was more about things together no. but it isn't it's about it's about jumping out of one yes. sandpit and jumping into another one right? yes and that's not healthy because no. you need to know who you are when you are in a new land and then you have marginalization which could happen it's there's a close relationship between marginalization and separation so it has to do with me choosing to not be part of your community right or you choosing or you forcing me to not be part of your society or community. Those three research has been showing that they have negative impacts on your mental health. Yeah, I bet. Mm, the best strategy to, to to be in a place is integration. And this is what I, I teach on. Mm. Right. <laughs> wow. You are some <laughs> amazing woman. All right. So Keep telling me a bit more about your career. I'm still interested to know mm. what happened next. So you're now a single mum with yes. two kids and with um, obviously degrees coming at your ears. <laughs> 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 so what do you do next? What I'm doing next, um, I'm on my early stages of my business. Right. So So you set up the business as soon as you got out. Of the as soon as you finish studying, yes, I actually no no no. I set up the business last year, early last year, <coughs> officially. Mm. All right, now timeline wise, though, how long is it since you finished the PhD? I finished the PhD in two thousand and seventeen, and I was and I have been since two thousand and seventeen teaching at University of Newcastle here. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and what do you teach? Economics, first year economics. Yeah, it's mainly right. economics because my PhD was on economics. So I teach economics. But last year, I've made uh, this conscious decision that it's time to align, given that uh, the, um, that um, my experience, my lived experience with this issue of, of integration, it's time to align what I do yep. with who I am. Yes. So, so tell me, how do you do that? Uh, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing, but I really need to do something that reflects what is more true, you know, to me. Your soul. So, yeah. So what I did last year, I just cre- created this 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 um this business. I registered, and I was so so lucky that within the first year that I've registered my business, I managed to get two grants with the local council, so I could deliver projects, which I did. Fantastic. So my long-term career um, plans is to move away from teaching and focus just there's just on, on this. Well, I'm a trainer. This, I'm a trainer by heart. Yeah. I can still And there's train. a huge need. I mean, Australia, it's a pity you're up there and not down in Melbourne because it's <laughs> an absolute melting pot down here of all different nationalities. Mm. And um, I know where I live in Melbourne, we have a lot of Sudanese refugees and that, you know, they are finding it really tough. And and from an Australian point of view, we think, how can we help these people? Because a lot of them are very traumatised from mm. having come from wars and all sorts of situations as well. So how do you find those people? You, how do you find them? Hello. Oh, it just cut off a little bit. Hello. How yes. Do, how, how do you, sorry, how do you find the people to help them assimilate? Like, are you working with government agencies? Are you working? How do you find these people mm. to help them? So at the moment, the what I'm what I'm planning to do, actually, one of my assignments, but this, I'm just going to give you, this as an example. Yeah, great. I'm, go- I'm going to reach out to the local university because they have access to the students. Mm-hmm. That's one way. I partner with key players in the that have access to those cohorts that I want to work with, be it the city council, be it a non-for-profit, be it an educational institution. So that's this is how I try. I also do advertise on my LinkedIn page or Facebook page to reach out to them individually. But at yeah, this right. stage, what works best for me is to do a partnership with a any of those three key players the institutions of education, international education, the local council, the non-for-profits. But let me highlight, yeah, let me highlight within the migrant sector, there are four classifications. So at this stage, I want to focus on at least one segment of that part. Okay. So we have those who come as international students, those who come as his partners in the partner visa, work mm-hmm. visa, and refugees, which is the cohort that you just described. Yeah. So at this stage, based on Newcastle, I'm tending to focus more on the international student cohort. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. I would think that when the word gets out about what you're doing, you are going to be inundated with council <laughs> saying, can you help us with our people? Because belonging is what you want for everyone. Oh, yes. I mean, everybody needs to feel that they belong. Mm. 
Absolutely. It's a human need, you know, regardless of your visa status, regardless of your immigration status. We all have this need. And it's hard to um it's hard to understand when you're Australian, I think, the differences that having coloured skin can make and in terms of making you feel like you're on your own. And I just want to give you an example for me. So I went and lived in the ghetto in Jamaica for uh, three or four months. Wow. And I, when I arrived in Jamaica, didn't even know Jamaicans had black skin. Like, I mean, I know I should have done some research, but I didn't. <laughs> and there were many times because I was living with the locals that I would go out and I, I talk about this with my friends a lot. And we would go out to nightclubs or we'd go out to the beach or we'd go out wherever. And I was the only one with white skin. And I remember wow. that very profoundly because thinking, <laughs> I can't hide it. I can't say I'm the same as all of you because they can no. see that I'm not. And I, and it really gave me a very profound insight, I think, into the opposite way around if you're the only black person and everyone around you is white. And so... um I just think that, you know, I, I mean, I remember when I was in my teens, there were hardly any African or, or African origin of anything. And there was one man who lived in Melbourne who was a bartender and every all the women were just all over him. They all just thought he was fantastic. <laughs> and I would go to London and meet these fabulous friends of mine, you know, the, a couple of black people and say, you know, in in Australia, you will everyone will think you're a god because there are so few <laughs> black people, and we thought it was so exciting. And now, obviously, there's a lot more, and so you know, it makes it less special. But it it, it is very very challenging mm, to to try and fit in. You know, unless people are being very very warm and welcoming, and even if they are, you feel like that's your circle, and all the people on the outside of the room are looking. Going, Who does that woman think she is? I know, that's so true, that's so true. But I guess in a way, um, lately, society, I mean the world, has in a way been, been forced, forced to, to, yeah, yeah. To, to review that and allow to have people of, say, more black people in white spaces to make it, you know, to normalise it. Yes, and I yeah. also feel that, you know, the internet has been great because we all get access to lots of different types of people, whereas, you know, if you were only watching what was on television and in the media 20 years ago, you would have very little exposure to it, mm. whereas whereas now. But I still think that, you know, um, people of African origin are just so beautiful and um, <laughs> different that I think certainly people in the cities embrace it, I think. A lot more. I would say it would be much more challenging if you went out to the country. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Have you have you had any experiences like that going outside of the city? Yes, I had a few. I've got a friend that lives in a far remote area, but I guess there was not much interaction with the locals there because we just right. went to their place. Yeah. So I wouldn't say, but where I am, Newcastle, people say that it's quite remote. Right. Uh, the classification wise in terms of economic activity and it, to some degree the city is still very much white to be honest so I don't know being, Newcastle but I totally believe it and I'll tell yeah. you as you go up the coast mm. it gets whiter and whiter <laughs> 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 I came oh, back from dear. I came back from Brisbane a couple of weeks ago and uh, I was sitting in a bar and a guy said, "Oh, you're from Melbourne." And I said, "Yeah." And he went, "God, there's so many different cultures there and so many different types of people." Yes. And I just had a moment and I thought, "You're right. I don't yes. see anyone 
who's anything other than Anglo-Saxon here. No, no, it, it is true. It is true. Newcastle is particularly different. You know, you stand out, different right. color scheme you do. So it's, what have you done to assimilate? Your, well, no, and I've used the wrong word, to integrate. <laughs> Thank you for educating me. So what has it been like trying to integrate in, in Newcastle? What's that been like for you? Um, I think um, one of the best ways to describe integration, to be honest, is that you've got to develop that attitude of being okay by in, in standing alone, you yeah. know? Okay. And doesn't mean you're lonely, you know. You're lonely because um, you made, it's the courage just to stand alone. I've seen that written by Brene Brown. She describes it really well. Right. Mm. That sometimes we confuse the idea that uh, when you belong, it means that you have to change yourself to be accepted. No, something changes in, 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 your, in how you see the world. You still stand on your identity, but you show yeah. up, you show up. So it feels like integrating in Newcastle feels that like me being aware that, yes, I am black, but at the same time, I can belong anywhere. Of course, you know? you're a human. We're all the same race. We're all humans. Hmm. So, and, uh, you know, you find the people, I guess, that, that are your tribe. That, yeah, that, absolutely. That I, that, yeah. That, that's correct. And I remember when I was writing the book, I went to a birthday party. Someone asked, where are you from originally? So you see that all the time filtering. You can tell that she's, they're not ready to, you know, it's like there is already an exclusive, excluding element playing up even before you meet the person. They're making a clear line, the vision of, you know, clear the vision. Right. But hang on, I had to explain, look, yes, I was born in Mozambique, but can I say belonging is not about a place. And and the, the good thing about belonging is that you're not waiting for them to accept you. You just True. declare it. You just say, I belong. That's oh, it. I love it. Oh, <laughs> oh, Elsie, you are so fabulous. <laughs> All right. Now, I've got to ask you some other questions along the way. One is because this show is about women in business yes, and it's for women. I always feel that there there is not enough of a spotlight being put onto women in in life. So one of the questions I like to ask are: Have there been any women that have helped you in your career that you would be happy to tell us how they've helped, or maybe their name, whatever? But I like to do those shout outs for women that are supporting other women. <laughs> yes, women that has had a I have to say supportive slash supportive slash caring role is Luz, Luz from Migrant Women in Business. Oh, Luz Restrepo. Yes, yes. Oh, my God, she is fantastic, isn't she? So for anyone listening, Luz is um, a Colombian um, uh, migrant to Australia. She very early on, and actually I've got to know her quite well and I didn't realise, but I think she was quite involved in politics um, or being quite political anyway when she was at home. She came to Australia and she started Sister Works. Mm. And for anybody in Melbourne, Sister Works, which was based out of Richmond, she was helping refugee and migrant women start their own businesses by using the skills that they had to create products they could sell. It was so clever. And now she's coaching. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, right. absolutely. So she is a wonderful one. That's oh, great. God. How has she, she helped you? 
she has helped me sometimes when you I remember I called her once about a few challenges that I was having in trying to understand getting more clients and how to get things around. Yes. Mm. She's always very supportive. She's always positive, you know, always yeah. the bringing hope when you want to just say, oh, this is not going to happen. She's the one that says, wait, 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 come on. This is possible. It is going to happen. I actually never had the chance to say how much I admire her. She's a, she has a very caring side that I really like. She's very she positive. does, but she's also got that streak in her that I love, that she's got like this iron will. <laughs> I don't know whether that's the best description, but what I love about her is you are absolutely sure that if you wanted to cross her, the best thing to do would be get out of her way because <laughs> she is on a mission and no one's going to stop her and it's beautiful. Mm. And she ha- sometimes organises uh, monthly workshops, you know, yes, to make yes. sure that Everyone is being looked after. We cover, they're covering the topics that we need to grow ourselves. I mean, as a business, as business yeah. leaders. So, so Luz has been the main one. What about growing up? Have there been any other women that sort of stand out that have helped you on um, your journey? Um, help on my journey. I would say that this this. Um, one person that I look up to when it comes to business, I think it's my mom. She's been an entrepreneur all her wow. life. Wow, right. So it runs in the in her side of the family. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> say my dad. <laughs> as, as I think I can only can remember my mom. She's always creating something, you know, I made starting you believe something. That you could- made you believe that you could do anything you wanted to do. Yep. And I think over the time watching her do it, I got some glimpses of what she, you know, she creates money, if I could put it this way. Wow. Mm. She has this ability to, from zero to create money. Mm. Wow, I think I need to know her as well. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I know, I do. Sometimes what I do, I said, uh, I ask like random questions and I said, why is that? Because, you know, different generations, we have to read books. Like, I have that book, Think and Grow Rich. Right. So we have to read books and, and, and they teach you how important it is to have, you know, you get what you see, believing the right thing and all of that. If you hope for good, good will come and all of that. I try to analyze my mom and see. She's because she's never read that book. Right, okay. <laughs> she's never read but that But she's book. manifesting. She's oh, manifesting yes. this money. And I try to understand, is there anything else that we're missing here? <laughs> and she says, no, you just got to believe, I guess, yeah. and do what you think is right. True. We don't see what's in the, in the mind, but she's always thinking about what's next. Even now that she retired. Um, well, if she's a pay. true, yeah, if she's a true entrepreneur like I am, and a whole lot of other women, then she'll just be going, "What's the next new shiny thing that I can focus on and and build something, and then move on to the next one?" So, absolutely, yeah, I've seen her navigating selling goods and products from hospitality to building, you know, construction. Wow. She just moves what's what's going on, what are they wanting, the man. And then she established something and it, if it dies down, she moves to another thing. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Now um 
we're, we've sort of haven't got too much longer. So now I'm <laughs> going to ask you some silly little questions. One is you've got two kids. I, yes. I, I have got two 15-year-old boys so uh, as well as a 19-year-old. So I know it can be a challenge. And you're in a new country, you're assimilating, you're doing all sorts, not assimilating, God, I'm going to stop using that word. <laughs> Integration. <laughs> Integrating your coaching, you're building a business. How do you split work and life? Do you have, do you just work sort of nine to five during the week? How do you give that time to be with your kids as well and have things outside of work? Confession. I have to make a confession. <laughs> Go on. Hit me I, with it. <laughs> yes. I am struggling to balance. I allow to give my kids the time they deserve because right. setting up a business, it's not an easy thing. There's no, a lot to do. You need to do the website, look after the, you know, the marketing, look after this. So what I've been trying to do lately, I've been doing my best to not work past 6 p.m. Yeah, good. Because good. I can That's... feel it. I can feel it that they're not having, you know, as much time. And of course, the other thing that's really important is that to, to, we often think that to be successful, we have to work harder, 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 harder. And I actually have now spoken to so many women who have pushed themselves and their bodies to the brink. Mm. And then they, they have a burnout moment or something happens and they literally, you know, have to stay in bed for a year or whatever. So it is really important to give yourself the time as well as mm. the time with your family just to, it also, when you stop for a while, it allows all that creativity to come through, I think. Yeah, that's so true. But I guess my personal belief that sometimes that also has to do with the, I would say, this tendency to feel insecure, insecurity that comes with being a female you yeah. know, we gotta hold it all together. We gotta do it. We make it happen. If we if we stop for a little while, it will not happen. You know, trying to rush to get because that insecurity of being a female. Yes, it's you know? it's a it it is um a very very much a challenge, but I guess what I'm hoping that I'm doing with she's the boss is creating more of a sisterhood where we all lift each other up. Because that's so important. If we're all going to get there, then we all need mm. to help each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Now we're on to a really silly question, which is <laughs> it doesn't have to be about business, but is there one quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Not sure people would be happy to hear this one. <laughs> Go on. Hit you know me the, anyway. You know the hot bottle rubber thing? Uh, they're called a hot water bottle. Yes, I sleep with that. I told Every my night. friend, yes, I told my friend, she just couldn't believe it. She found it ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't live without it. Every oh, well, hang single on. Have, night. Have you discovered electric blankets, though? <laughs> no, no. Oh, my goodness, Elsa. I thought I was a hot water bottle till I got an electric blanket. And I think. <laughs> I think I was maybe 35 when I got my first one. My mum always had one when I was growing up and I thought, how ridiculous. <laughs> and then I used to say, no, no, I like to get into a cold bed and warm it up. But, oh, oh. my goodness, an electric blanket in the middle of winter, you can get into bed naked and be lovely and warm. Not that you would Ooh. want to, but you just can. <laughs> I should try. I should I'm try. going to encourage you to, to treat yourself to an electric blanket. <laughs> And watch it change your life, and then you can let me know and tell me what you think, but you'll love it. Okay, Definitely. and the very 
Now, the very last question is just about mobile phones because I am a bit of an iPhone tragic. Um, So do you um, play on your phone at all? Do you use your phone for business? And if so, are there any apps that you want to tell us about that you use? Well, um, I use a lot of Canva. Yes. Now, isn't Canva just the most wonderful mm-hmm. thing ever? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the other one that I use a lot is Teleprompter. Oh, tell everyone what that one is. <laughs> you can do your recording, your, your video with subtitles and everything. You can just read. It's like a screen. You read it, records. And then you, and just you can download. put it on your phone, can't you? So that yeah, when just... you're doing videos, you don't have to look at a piece of paper or something. It just It's superimposed onto the screen. Absolutely. That's, That's brilliant. Mm, so these are the two main ones that I use at the moment, teleprompter okay. and Canva. Because the Canva, yeah. the thing with Canva, you've got everything, the brand kit, you know, the fonts, the colors, everything is there. And it's super easy. I know. Oh. I absolutely love mm. it. It's a game and now, changer. You, and talking of games, do you play any games on your phone? No, no. <laughs> unfortunately. I think this is a woman who's this is a woman who's just told me that she's trying hard to stop working because she's got so much on. So I guess sitting down and playing on your phone is probably not a high priority. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, Elsa, you are, you are just wonderful to talk to. I loved hearing your story <laughs> and what you're doing. It's so important. Can you tell people if they want to get hold of you, what's the best way, and also how, where they can get your book? All right. I'll start with the book. Yep. book. You can find on Amazon, any online shop, really. Amazon, okay. UK, Australia. And remind us, what's it called again? It's called The Freedom to Belong, My okay. Journey of Blending Cultures in Australia, from Mozambique to Australia. So Amazing. that's the title of the book. Well, you can access me through, I've got my Insta page, which is called The Freedom to Belong. My Facebook page is Freedom to Belong as well. My website is elsadikumba.com. If that's not enough, you can call or text me at 0423. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't no? give people your phone okay, number. Okay, perfect. I'm only assuming that there are lovely women listening, but you never know. So let's not hand out anything out just in case. Yes. So true. thank you so much. I cannot wait to share this story. What an uh, awesome woman you are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for your support. This is so good. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.